up in praise to the Lord, hearing the scriptures read, and uh, the baby dedication was wonderful. Man, there's a lot of babies in Cornerstone these days. Must be something in the water here. I don't know what it is. But uh, it's all been a joy. I hope this part is going to be helpful to you as we're going to get into God's Word now. So I'm going to read some scripture, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump into the sermon. So please give heed to these scriptures. This is God's Word, and it's for you to know and to hear. We're in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, starting in verse 3. The Apostle Paul writes, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness. Covetousness is in all caps there because this whole sermon is about covetousness. Are you a coveter? You're here on the right day. It's just for you. And he says, But covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Skip down to verse 5, Ephesians 5.5. 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, and that's not my parenthetical insertion, that's Paul's, that's in the word, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Sister epistle, Colossians 3.5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Skipping back to the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments, here is the tenth, Exodus 20 and verse 7. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox, or his donkey, his means of getting gain, or anything that is your neighbor's. And then back to the New Testament and the words of the Lord Jesus, Luke 12 and verse 15. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist and the abundance of his possessions. Now let's pray. Father, may your word come to us in the power of the Holy Spirit. We know we have all been guilty of this sin, and we pray that hearing about it will lead us to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Deliver us from our idols. Deliver us from worshiping things rather than worshiping you, our God. Thank you for receiving sinners like us. Thank you that the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to wash us and to make us clean. We give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. So back to Ephesians 5.5. 5. I'll read it once more. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. In other words isn't going to heaven. So this is about covetousness. You might be interested to know that that word is used ten times in the New Testament. Six of them are the Apostle Paul. Several of them appear in these texts that we have just read. So this is about covetousness. Let's begin thinking about it by asking, what is it not? Let me just push a few things away and help you understand. We're not talking about this or that or the other. Here's a few things. What is it not? Covetousness is not working hard in order that you might get gain, in order that you might make some profit. 
being industrious and reaping the benefits of your industry is actually commended in the Word of God. Let me read you several Proverbs. They're not on the screen, but here they are. And the book of Proverbs is rich with these kinds of statements. Proverbs 13.4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. You see, there's nothing wrong with, there's everything right with having the soul of the diligent. You work hard, God blesses your labors, and as a result, you wind up richly supplied. That doesn't mean there was any covetousness going on in the equation there. It was just a commitment to a a biblical, what we might call a Protestant work ethic, and God blessed you because of it. So that's not covetousness. Again, Proverbs 12, 11, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. But he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. God said that. I didn't. But you'll have plenty of bread. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not like, well, you covet or you shouldn't have plenty of bread. No, the Bible's commending this to us. So being covetous is not to be equated with working hard and making some good profits as a result. Furthermore, being covetousness, covetous is not equated with being rich. 1 Timothy chapter 6, a passage we'll return to and actually look at later. But Paul was addressing the rich people in the assembly. And he says, as for the rich in this present age, don't be haughty, don't set your hopes on it, but be generous, ready to share. Now what I want you to note is this. He does not say, as to the rich in this present age, what are you doing being rich? Sinner, you must be a coveter. No, no, no. You can be quite rich and not be a coveter. You can be quite poor and covet your life away. So it's not about being rich or not being rich. So it's not working hard and reaping benefits. It's not about being rich. By the way, you all, you know this, don't you? You all are very, very rich. So what is covetousness? Well, here's a dictionary definition. They say it is having or showing too much. I wish they would have delineated how much is too much. Having or showing too much desire for wealth or possessions or desiring too much something belonging to another person. Another definition says it is inordinate desire for things. But Paul gives us a simple definition and a very kind of striking definition when he simply says covetousness is idolatry. So you want to know what it is? You want to know what it really is? You want to know what's at the very core of it? It is idolatry. The Old Testament sin of idolatry, forbidden in the second commandment of the Ten, where God says, you shall not make any idols, you shall not bow down and worship them. The New Testament reveals to us that there's a a form of idolatry that maybe we hadn't been aware of, and it's this. It's any time something gets that place in your soul that only God deserves. You're a creature made by God, made in the image of God, made to know and love God supremely above anything else. And anytime something else shoves God off of that place in your soul, that's covetousness. You're an idolater, and the Bible says you're not going to heaven. If you can live in that, that's you. So covetousness is idolatry, and idolatry is saying no to God and putting other things in the place that only God deserves. Other loves, other allegiances, other supreme values. That's what this is about. So you're worshiping and serving things in the place of the Creator, Romans 123 and 125. That's covetousness. 
Let me give you an example from the New Testament. There was a time where Jesus was speaking to a young man. He's been forever known as the rich young ruler. So he was rich. He was young. He was one of the ruling people in Israel. He made it into government like this guy had it made. But he heard about Jesus, so he came to see Jesus, and he said, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus, a few words, a few sentences later, said, Well, you know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, etc., etc. But Jesus did not quote the tenth commandment, You shall not covet. So the young man said, Oh, all these I have kept from my youth. What do I lack? What more do I need? So Jesus could have said, You haven't kept all those from your youth. But instead he said, he's Jesus. He knew the guy's heart. He knew his soul. He knew his life. And he said to him, okay, Mr. Smarty Pants, those are my words, go and sell and give to the poor. And then it says, and the young man went away sad for he had great possessions. In other words, he would rather keep his stuff than know God. He would rather keep his stuff than go to heaven He would rather shove God off that place in his heart that only God deserves and keep and love his stuff. That's covetousness. So that's what it is. Let's ask a second question. Why is it wrong? Why why is it wrong? I have a bunch of answers for you, more than you see so far. The first one is very simply, and this sounds a little cheeky maybe, but it's wrong because God says so. That's enough. In other words, you don't want to be this person who says, well, as long as I can't understand why that should be wrong, then I'm not going to submit myself to that. No, yours might not be the reason why. Yours is simply to obey. You don't say to God, I will obey you as long as I can understand exactly what you're doing and why you're commanding it. No, obey first, maybe understand later. So he's God. He's the potter, you're the clay. He's the lawmaker, you're the obedient one. He gets to tell you, here's what I want you to do. You say, your word do I hide in my heart that I might not sin against you. You say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. That's where you want to be. That's where you want to live. So covetousness is wrong simply because God says so. But there are more reasons. Are you want to know some reasons? Here you go. Because, as we've already noted, it is idolatry. In Ephesians, Paul, covetousness is idolatry. In Colossians, Paul, covetousness is idolatry. I think covetousness is idolatry. It's idolatry. It's putting something else in the place of God and worshiping and serving and ordering your life around that thing, that pursuit, that interest, that desire. You remember the first of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. The covetous person is breaking that commandment every moment of their life. Something else is always God to them before him because they reject him, because they push him out of their life. You should be saying, I must have God. Instead, the coveting person says, I must have, and now you fill in the blank. It's something other than God. So it's wrong because it's idolatry. It's also wrong, thirdly, because the covetous person fails to love God and to be loyal to God. You see, this is about loving him. This is about you're loyal to him. In the Old Testament, when the people of Israel fell into idolatry and worshipped the idols and the images of the nations around them, they were said to be disloyal to God. If you're a child of God, you are loyal to him. If you're not a child of God, you are disloyal to him. 
The covetous person is disloyal to God. I, they don't say, I cling to you. I don't care what else. No, they really do care what else, and they don't care too much for clinging to God. They fail to love God, and they fail to be loyal to God, the, the covetous person. Also, number four, because the covetous person fails to submit to God. To submit to God and His providence. Here's what God has given me. I must have more. Here are the opportunities God gave me. I'm, I'm not happy with God. This is all he gave me. God, you gave that other person that. Why don't you give me? You gave them. Why don't you give me? That's the covetous person. Shoving God away and, and getting all grumpy with God. The covetous person fails to submit to him. Lord, you are my God. You are my sovereign. Whatever you ordain for my life is right. Your will is holy. It will abide with me. I bow and submit. I bless you. That's the right place to be. The covetous person isn't there. It's also a sin because, number five, covetousness leads to jealousy and envy. The person who covets very often also says, they have, and I want, and how come I don't have? Not realizing that all complaints land on God's desk. He's the sovereign God. He's the God of all providence. He's working all things according to the counsel of his will. It's down to him that you're not as rich as Elon Musk. It's also down to him that you're not as poor as billions of people on the planet. It's down to him. But covetousness leads you to jealousy and to envy. Here's a little illustration about that. And I picked this up from a pastor and I heard him preach. And this was his illustration many years ago. His name, by the way, is Albert N. Martin. And he was illustrating this envy and jealousy thing and coveting. And he said, so, so there you are. You, you go to the store. Do people, do people still go to stores? Are there still stores so, that aren't named Amazon? So you, go, you actually go to a store, a walk-in brick and mortar. And... Let's make you a woman. This time it's a woman. You walk in the store and you're looking at winter coats. And man, there's this red winter coat. Oh, it's so good. Look, and you look at the price tag. You go, oh, I could never buy that. Husband would never allow me to spend that kind of money. Can't, can't do it. And by the way, you're not going to do what. Here's a real couple. I knew them. I was involved in this debacle because she coveted clothing but knew they really couldn't afford it. She maxed out multiple, multiple, multiple charge cards that he didn't even know about until one day he found out, and then all the cards came out, and all they owed came out. And what did she do with all the clothing? Hid it. Like you couldn't even wear it. So what did you do that for? But, but she did. So you've decided, well, I'm not going to go that route, so I'll just try it on. So you try it on, you look in the mirror, oh, that's me, it's just perfect, fits me so well, but I, I can't do that. So you go back to visit and try it on again and again, and then one day you go to church, and there she is. And you don't even like her that much. And she's wearing your coat. And you're not happy. Now, the Bible says in that circumstance, Romans chapter 12, you are supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice 
and weep with those who weep. You're supposed to be able to say, and if you can't say this, there's something very, very wrong with you. You're supposed to be able to look at her in your red coat and say, Lord, I am thankful you have blessed her with that. You're supposed to be able to tell her, I'm so happy you were able to purchase the, oh, you got it with hidden charge cards. Oh, all right. No, you're supposed to be happy and thankful at how God has given her good fortune to own that coat. But covetousness leads you to jealousy and envy. Lord, why does she have that coat and I don't? I can't be happy unless I get that coat. You're making a coat your life. You're making a thing your God, and you're bowing down and worshiping it and serving it. Covetousness leads you to jealousy and envy. And another reason covetousness is forbidden is because it skews your priorities. Now, there are some careers where a child's not going to see their dad because maybe he's in the military and he's away on, on a deployment. But there are other situations where a child never sees their dad because dad is off chasing fortune and fame and money and robbing his kids of what they deserve, to have a real father in their life. Same thing could be true of, of a mother. Covetousness can skew your priorities. Me getting those things, me getting that position, me being seen as that kind of man or a woman, that's more valuable to me than, well, frankly, my kids. Covetousness skews your priorities. I thought it was interesting that the wealthiest man on the planet, his name is Elon, you've heard of him, he's worth $268 billion as of yesterday, I think. I happened to follow him on Twitter, he's interesting, and about a year and a half ago he tweeted, I'm selling all of my properties. He had eight ginormous, amazing, ridiculously expensive mansions up and down the coast of California mainly, I think, and he said, I'm selling them all because frankly they're a distraction, I just want to get humans to Mars. So he actually did. He sold them all, and he currently lives in a $50,000 tiny home. It has 375 square feet. It's made by a company called Boxable. He lives in it in Boca Chica, Texas, which is right next to SpaceX, so he doesn't have to waste any time commuting either. So basically, all he does is work, and then I'll walk over there and go to bed, and get up the next morning and go to work and work, and then I'll walk over there and go to bed. Now, that's skewed priorities, but it's good that he was able to say, there's a good and a bad here. The good is, he's able to say, look, I'm on a mission. I'm not going to let things like billion-dollar, million-dollar homes distract me. I'm going to stay on my mission. Man, may the children of God be on mission like that, huh? For the kingdom of God. I'm not letting stuff distract me. We have a job to do here with the gospel and the planet. But here's a problem with Elon Musk. His kids never see him. They deserve to have a dad in their life, and he's robbing them of what they need and of what is rightfully theirs. Covetousness skews your priorities. Here's another story. Jonathan Wesley was a great evangelist from England, great preacher, church planter and all that. 1700s, he came to America, preached up and down our coast. He was preaching somewhere one time, and somebody came into the place and said, Mr. Wesley, Mr. Wesley, your house is on fire. And he said, no, it isn't. Yes, it is. Your house is on fire. No, it, it isn't, because it's not my house. It's God's house. And frankly, it's one less thing to worry about. <laughs> There's a man who was on a mission. There was a man who had good priorities. 
covetousness skews your priorities. The kingdom of God is no longer the most important thing. Knowing God, loving God, following God, loving your wife, loving your children, no longer the thing. It's this other thing. This is what I must have. This is what I'm driven for. This is what I want. That's the spirit of covetousness. All right, so when are you rehabilitated of covetousness? Because you remember in Ephesians chapter 5 and 4, it's put off, there's the bad thing, and put on, there's the good thing. So it's rehabilitation. When is a covetous person rehabilitated? They are then what? They are content. Good. They are content. When you are content, that's a sentence. So now this sermon is about contentment. It was about covetousness, but now it's about you being content. And more particularly, more importantly, you are content with God. It's not like you can just say, well, I have nothing to do with God, but I'm a pretty contented person. You could be that, but you're still coveting because you're still shoving God off the place he deserves in your soul. So this is about When are you no longer a coveter? Well, that's when are you no longer an idolater. That's when God has become your God and you are content to have it so. But it's also when you're content with your lot in life. When are you rehabilitated when you are content? Here's a great text about contentment. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Keep your life free from the love of money, And be content with what you have. So you're you're supposed to be able to say, right now, wherever things are in your life, Lord, thank you. It is enough. How much is enough? Not a little more. How much is enough? what I have right now. In fact, if he took away a whole lot, I'd still be content. Because we're going to see later in, in 1 Timothy 6 that having, here's God's standard for contentment. Having food, you all look like you've had food lately, and, and clothing or covering, you, I don't see any naked people in here, you shall be content. There's God's standard. If you have enough to eat, enough to wear, keep you warm in the winter, roof over your head, then you're to be content. So this says Keep free from the love of money and be content with what you have. We could all be very content with a whole lot less than what we have. A couple of billion people on the planet, as I already said, have way less than every one of us. And they're told to be content. But then he gives us some reasons why we can be content. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, here's what God says to his children, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So that should make you content. Hey, what I have and don't have, what's going on in my life, I can be content because God is with me in this. He's not leaving me, and he's what I want. He's the center of my life. I'm content. He'll never leave or forsake me. So we can reply to that and confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? All I need is food and covering, and I'm a happy camper. So you are rehabilitated when you have a heart that is thankful and content 
with what God has given you. This includes things like like where you're born. The Bible says he determines the boundaries of your habitation. When you're born, to whom you're born, what the level of the standard of life was, where you were born, where you were raised. This means, did I find a husband or not? Did I find a wife or not? Did we have children or not? This, this includes that. I understand how hard that can be. I'm very sympathetic to that. But let's face God's word. I'm to be able to say, I'm, I'm content. In fact, let's look now at God's standard for contentment. Next slide. What is God's standard? Here it is, 1 Timothy 6. Paul's writing again to the rich people in the church. And he tells them, but godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, don't think if I had Elon's money, that would be great gain. That's only in this world's gain, which doesn't excite us a whole lot, does it? Does it? Does it? Godliness with contentment, however, is great gain. You want to make gain? Here it is. Be a follower of Jesus Christ and be content. That's a lot of profit. For, here's why it should be that way, for we brought nothing into the world, right? I saw four babies pop out. Not one of them was holding on to anything. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. You've heard this one. That is not a contented camper right there. You've heard this one. There's, there's never a U-Haul behind a hearse, right? When they put me in the grave, they're not putting my truck in there with me, are they? Verse 8. But if we have, here's God's standard, food and clothing. That's it. Food and clothing. You all have food and clothing? Yes. Then you should be content. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But, here's the contrast. Those who desire to be rich... Fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have even wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. You're to be filled with the love of Christ, not the love of money. It's okay to work hard. God blesses you with a whole lot of money. Great. Be generous. Ready to share. Store up a foundation for the future. Nothing wrong with that. But the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Jesus talks about this in his parable of the four kinds of soils, and a sower goes out to sow, and this soil responds that way. And the, the third soil, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. They hear the gospel. They hear about Jesus Christ. They hear the word of God. Then they say, oh, no, 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 but, but my business, but my work, but my money, but my thing, but... And it chokes the word, and they become unprofitable as a child of God. Let me give you a great example of contentment. It's found in the Apostle Paul. We're in Philippians chapter 4. Paul's in a Roman prison. That was not a nice place to be. You only had food if somebody brought you a 
somebody from outside that knew you brought you some food. You only had some new clean clothes if somebody from outside brought you some new clean clothes. You only had whatever provision you needed if somebody from outside brought them. So Paul's in jail, and believers and churches sometimes send him a little care package. And the church in Philippi has just sent him one, and here's his response, Philippians 4, 10 to 13. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now this, not that I am speaking of being in need. Paul, you're in Roman prison. No, I don't have any needs. For I have learned, have you learned, in whatever situation I am, to be content. Now, you see, that's something you have to learn. We don't come into this world content. Have you ever seen a baby that's just content, that doesn't scream and throw itself on the floor and kick? No, we don't come in contented. We have to learn this. Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I can be in a Roman prison. I'm perfectly happy. Doesn't bother me. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low. There are skills. There's a skill set. There are things you have to know. Paul has learned them. He knows them. I can be low. Fine. And I know how to abound. And I have those skills. It doesn't go to my head. I don't get puffed up. I don't get haughty. I don't think I'm somebody great. I don't put my hope in uncertain riches. I keep following Christ. I know how. He says, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. God's standard for you to be content is having food and clothing. Paul says, I've learned how to do that. Have you learned how to do that? Let me give you four quick points on how to be content and then some closing verses and we'll be done. First, here's what lies at the core of all this thing. Your contentment, you remember, is the opposite of idolatry. Idolatry is shoving God away, putting something else in your heart. So contentment is not just being a godless but pretty happy person. Contentment is, I'm content in God. I'm happy in Jesus Christ. I'm thankful to God that He's my God. I don't worship idols. He's on the throne of my life. So it's, this is a sermon about loving God. To not be covetous, to be content, you love God. All people who are saved... All who are followers of Jesus Christ, all who are going to heaven, love God supremely. Those who don't, Paul says, don't let anybody deceive you. They'll not inherit the kingdom of God. So love God. How to be content? Love God. And then secondly, seek first his kingdom, Matthew 6, Live for his kingdom. Value his kingdom. And the stuff you covet doesn't look so great. The Bible talks, and we saw it in one of our verses today, about deceitful riches and the deceitfulness of riches. You know, riches tell lies. What's their lie? Come over here. It's like dangling a lure to a fish. Come over here. I'll fulfill you. I'm what you really need. I'll make you happy. I'll satisfy you. Have you never noticed that things are better in the anticipation than once you actually get them? And then they're kind of anticlimactic, and you're like, okay, what's the next thing? 
because you want the anticipation. No, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And the promise you get is, and God says, I will add all these things to you. That's a pretty good bargain. And thirdly, how to become content is you must learn to submit to God's sovereign will. Lord, your plans for my life, your purposes for my life, your will for my life. I bow, I bless, I submit. And if that means I'm in a Roman prison and I only have food when my friends bring it, I submit to you. This is your purpose for my life. There's no, well, I'm not very happy with the way God's been treating me and I'm thinking I might walk away from the faith. A lot of people do that. That's the third soil here, the deceitfulness of riches. They think, well, if God isn't going to give me the things that I want, then what kind of God is that? Well, he's given you everlasting life. That's a pretty good God. He's given you a new heart. He's given you a whole world full of brothers and sisters in Christ. So submit to his sovereign will. Learn to say what an old hymn says. I quoted it earlier. Whate'er my God ordains is right. Holy, his will abideth. I will be still whate'er he does and follow where he guideth. Let that be you. And finally, number four, adjust your wants down to your needs. I want, I want, I want. What do you want? Food and clothing. Everything else is optional. I can do with it. I can do without it. Doesn't matter. Nothing wrong with having a lot of it. Nothing wrong with working hard. God blesses. And you have plenty. We all have plenty. We all have plenty. But adjust your wants down to your needs. All I really need is food and clothing and maybe Debbie. <laughs> Not maybe. And Debbie. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Here are some closing verses with no comment. Ecclesiastes 5.10, the wisest man to ever walk the planet, King Solomon, writes, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is vanity or meaninglessness. Proverbs 15.16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. 1 Timothy 6.6, now, there is great gain in godliness with contentment. And the words of the Lord Jesus, Luke 12, 15, again. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Hey, the good news is, well, the bad news is, we have all coveted and coveted and coveted. The good news is Jesus Christ receives coveters who turn to him that he might be their God. So would you make sure that you have really, with all your heart and soul, you have turned to God. You've come to God through the Lord Jesus to find life and pardon. Let's pray for that. Bow with me, please. Father, we pray that right now in this room that men and women, that boys and girls would be turning to you, that you would be their God, that you would reign supremely in their affections, in their loves, in their thoughts, in their lives. Father, we present ourselves to you as living sacrifices and pray that you might receive the sacrifice of our contentment, of our thanksgiving, and of our praise.
And Lord Jesus, thank you for the gospel promise that if we seek first your kingdom, you'll provide all the stuff that we need. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Maybe in response to the sermon, you'd like to talk with a Cornerstone pastor, or for whatever reason, you want to talk with a Cornerstone pastor, here's an easy way you can get in touch. Just text PASTOR to the number that's on the screen, and one of us will be reaching out to you soon. Thank you. Pastor Rob, lead us in communion. I forgot if it was you or Jason. <laughs> a little bit different today. All right.